This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Is, is the best way to stay in pain your whole life is avoid it. You all listening? The best way to stay in pain your whole life is avoid it. There's a, the best way to stay in pain your whole life is avoid it. It's a wild statement. If I'm avoiding it, I'm not in pain, right? No. That's how you keep your pain. You keep your pain by avoiding it. You know, before all the medicine men came out of the Amazon jungle to Manhattan and Brooklyn and Greenpoint and Muncie and all the places they are, they're in California, they're everywhere. Today, now, it's like very popular to go to medicine men who are these jungle people who know, who know, you know, certain medicines that take you on these wild journeys to heal your life. And they really do heal people's lives. Obviously, you have to be healthy. You can't be, you know, it can't, it can't be someone who has a history of psych, being psychotic or schizophrenic or bipolar or anything. You have to be somewhat healthy physiologically to go through such a thing. But about 20 years ago, the, this was, the vacation of the rich and famous. The vacations of the rich and famous was to go, because they hadn't, they hadn't yet sent out all the medicine people. So you had to go into the jungle. So who was going? It was like millionaires from, Am- from uh, you know, midtown Manhattan stock market, you know. What? Silicon Valley people, you know, in uh, California. It was top, you know, like billionaires and stuff. So they were doing this. This was like, you know, they've done everything. They've already taken the jet, you know, the private, they've already taken the private jet to the, you know, the island in the Bahamas and they've, they've like, they've done everything already. So this is on their bucket list, it's called a bucket list. Rich people have what's called a bucket list. It's all the stuff they wanted to do before they die. So one of the, one of the big bucket list things was to go to the Amazon into the rainforest. Find these, you know, healers who are like, you know, they're wearing nothing. They're wearing like little loincloths. You know, they've been, they're, they're, they have a 5,000 year tradition in the medicines that they use to, and to take you on this journey of your life. I mean, you get full life review. You get to review your entire life on the medicine. You're not in, you're not in the jungle. When you're on the medicine, you're not in the jungle. After about 45 minutes when the medicine kicks in, you're in a totally different place. Totally different place. And I actually asked a, I asked a dying because, uh, you know, the aboriginals have, there's females sometimes singing in the group because the, because when you're in that place, so the, 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 what you're looking at is moving with the music that they're playing. There's an orchestra in the room, in the jungle with you. And they're playing their instruments, but there's a whole choir singing for you. And which, and as they sing, the people in this place, it's, you're in some world that's going according to the music, which is called, they actually have a term for it. We call it Royas Akailas. They call it, the term, there's a fancy term, it's called synesthesia. Synesthesia is when you see the sounds. So literally, like, like they'll they'll say like, 
Oh, it was amazing when you sung that. It was a beautiful magenta crossing the scene. And, and the, the choir members like, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed the color magenta while I was singing. So it's, it's another world. But the thing is, is like this. If you have negativity, you're going to be meeting it in 3D. If you have negative stuff, if you've treated people wrong, if you've screwed people in business, if you've harmed other human beings, if you've acted selfishly, if you've been an egotistical person, the medicine is going to whip your behind. And you're going to have... You're going to have the most horrific trauma experience in full three-dimensional, like, blow-away experience. Like, literally going to cardiac arrest with where you are and what's happening. So, obviously, you don't go into such a situation if you're not clean. Because if you're not a clean person, so then you, you don't belong doing that. Anyway... So, so a lot of these businessmen didn't know that. They just know their, their partner went. So, like, now it's his turn. So he takes his private jet. He flies down to Brazil or Colombia or Peru or whatever. Hires someone to take him into the jungle. Gets into the jungle. Gets to the medicine man with, like, a bone through his nose, you know. You know, wearing, wearing just a little cloth for uh, Sneas. And... And he's like, you know, for a midtown millionaire, this is like a, the ultimate adventure. So now he's finally with the other millionaires and, and various other people, because people have the machla go for curing the machla, and a lot of people go for all kinds of cures. Um, that's what they do. And they, this is where medicine, this, by the way, I know this all sounds weird, but before modern pharmacology, this was medicine. Also in our belt. We had medicine people. Do you know the Baal Shem Tov in Ukraine is listed in the municipality as a medicine man? As a healer? He's listed there like because they have census. You know, today we have like probably more modern census, but they had census then. He was listed. He's listed as a medicine man. And he knew medicines and he gave medicine. Now, I don't know if those medicines took you on some journeys, but I have a feeling they probably did. If the Balshento gave me something to drink, I would expect that I'll be going somewhere. So, anyway, the and by the way, the, the, the lot, a lot of mystics were in the Ukraine. A lot of mystics were in Poland. Uh, I don't know about the, where we're from. We're from Marmarsh, the Carpathian Mountains. But I have a mi- feeling there were mystics there who knew the medicines. Anyway, so imagine the businessman has, he's like getting attacked by demons on all sides. He's mamish going into like cardiac arrest. You're also, you know, he doesn't have any motor skills, so he can't actually get up. Uh, by the way, the, the medicine people, they have full motor skills on the medicine, but someone who's not adept at this is not going to have motor skills. So he like crawls his way back to the medicine man with the bone through his nose. And he gets up to me, he's like, you got to get me out of here. This is a big mistake. i got to go back to New York. Get me out of here. And the medicine man's like, you already drank the potion. What do you want, you know? What am I supposed to do? You know, it's not like when you drank the potion, it had a string that I could, like, pull it out of your digestive system. It's not like I can get the potion out. And so he looks at him panicked. He says, 
What am I going to do? I'm being attacked by all sides. And the medicine man says, crawl back to your spot in the circle, and I'll give you a little hint. The only way out is through. Stop spending your life trying to get out of your pain. That's a good way to make sure you'll always be in pain. Stop trying to stay away from what hurts deep down, the deeper pain. Get yourself in a situation where you go through it. The only way out is through. Sadly, so many people with deep pain will spend years and years going to therapists. It's an expensive proposition. Now, what, in the, what chances in the world is someone going to go through their pain in 50 minutes from the time you sat down? Possible or impossible? Impossible. And so you'll just go every week, 250 bucks a pop, 1,000 bucks a month, one month, two months, three months, four months, years, years. It's $12,000 a year. And still in. And it's not only that, but here's a professional, a professional with, you know, there's a you know, doctorate of psychology or social work, whatever their doctorate's in. Were they trained? Were they trained for six hours straight of intense taking someone through? No way. That was, that was none of their training. They wouldn't even know what to do with themselves. They would be like, oh my gosh, like call an ambulance. Maybe call an ambulance. Like, I don't know what to do. Uh, call it Sola, the psychologist would say. They were not, this person's gone out of their mind. They were literally, they'd call an ambulance. In the middle of their patient going through. But it would never happen anyway, because you're not going anywhere in 50 minutes. Nowhere. You're lucky in 40 minutes if you even trust them to start sharing some feelings. And at the end of the 40 minutes, at the, 10 minutes later, they're like, well, that's it for today. We'll be seeing you next week. They're like, like, what? Sometimes people ask me you know, about my seminars, the possible you, which I'm starting in Muncie uh, tomorrow for men, 1 p.m. The women start 9.30 Monday morning. Sometimes they ask me. They don't know anything about it, so they're like, Oh, you run a seminar. Very nice, very nice. When does it meet? It's a Sunday. So like, oh, it meets on Sundays? <laughs> Meaning like every Sunday? I'm like, not exactly. Said, so what is it, like two hours? Well, Sunday, like tomorrow. Sunday, it'll be from like 1 p.m. to about midnight. I'm like, that's 11 hours. Yeah, we'll be there in 11 hours Sunday. And then they're like, then we're done? I'm like, no, no, you're back Monday. Monday we do five hours from 7 p.m. on. The men are non-work hours. I'm like, seven to, seven to midnight? I'm like, yeah. Like, and then we're done? No, no, you're back on Tuesday. We'll be doing 7 to 11. Sorry, 7 to midnight on Tuesday. Then we're done? 
No. You'll be back on Wednesday from 7 to midnight on Wednesday. Meanwhile, what am I doing all day? Meaning till they get there at 7? The women are 9.30 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we all get to a point at one point of this work because everyone knows the motto. The, you say it together, the only way out is through. Say it. The best way to hold on to your pain is avoid it. If you want to get out of your pain, go through it. But you've got to be in an environment that's going to take care of you. The environment that won't call it Zola. The environment that has a staff of people around you that know how to hold you through it. Most people I know in the, in the uh, you know, mental health world, they would run from their lives to be in such a circumstance. I'm taking, like, I often have groups, I have groups of 30, 30 people who are like, each one of them is like, call an ambulance. And they're all together. 30 of them, all at once. I once had a group in Muncie, I had 52 men, where there's no one who can even control, can even balance anymore. I Meaning they can't even balance. They wouldn't be able to go to the bathroom if they wanted to. They would, they would just fall. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just explaining that we all have heavy stuff inside, and it's just going to stay there if you don't get it out. And you know how much that affects our marriages? You know how heavy you are? And you only have yourself to blame? Yeah, you like to say, well, you know, it wasn't easy growing up. You know, I got terribly embarrassed when I was Heather when I was five. Ever since then, I don't talk much. Or if someone was hurt or something else happened when they were kids. And so you want to point your finger, you know, that that's what happened. And by the way, most therapists will sign. If you point your finger at someone, they'll just sign, you know. Yeah, meaning they'll sign off on the fact that it was their fault. It was their fault. But that happened. That's over. When you point your finger at someone or some circumstance, something that happened to you, when you point your finger at that thing, there are three more pointing right back at you. Because you're the one generating it now. It, that ended. You kept it going. We're perpetuating our own victimhood. And how do we do it? Not by complaining to a therapist, but by having our way of interaction in our lives being fully subject to decisions we made as kids how to survive the rest of our lives. So we basically, we're like little kids in adult clothing. You know, when I see people walking around, all of us men in our streimlach and our bikachus, and all the, the women and the, you know, the mamas, the bubbas. If you think about your life, seriously, if you think about your life, most of how you go around is decisions you made when you were a kid who was going through whatever you were going through. Kids are always going through something. And you've, you developed whatever would work. Some people shut down and get all quiet and isolated. Some people are like, you know, very extroverted and bombastic in their social 
social life. But we've all created ways of being to protect ourselves. But they're all from childhood. They're like stupid childhood tactics, strategies. And they're horrible for our marriages. They're horrible for our parenting. And yet we can't even see it because we're in it. You know, you can't expect a fish to explain water. It's in the water. It can't explain the water. It's so in it, it can't explain it. And we're all so in our stuff that we've lost focus on it. So the only way out is through. The only way out is through, and you gotta, it doesn't have to be with me. There's other people running programs. The only nice thing about me is I'm a frumiyid. I think I'm a chosid. Seems to be working out that I am a chosid. And you know that it's gonna be halachically and spiritually safe. There are people, probably greater healers than me, who run, the program's probably almost exact similar. I don't know the programs, but they're probably similar. You'll go through the similar stuff. You'll go, you'll have to go through. But how much can you surrender? You have to surrender to the experience. How much can you surrender to a guy leading it? You understand? It's like, I've been to a lot of programs. I'm choyshed. I don't trust where it's coming from. You know, I'd like to trust the yid that's, or the, I'd like to trust the person who's facilitating the experience. You had a question? This is, that's what I'm describing. I'm describing, this is someone who doesn't know how to open up. If they don't want to commit something too much, they're going to probably die in pain. They just got to, I always tell people, go online, register, and then you can stop stressing about it. You're in. You already registered, you already paid, you're, you're, you're going to come. I tell people all the time, like, they're scared to death. And so they wind up not coming because they're scared of that. I tell them, just register. It doesn't even have to be mine, and there's other people who run programs. It would never work one-on-one. You can't do it one-on-one. So... Cole Chicane, they got us. Oh, someone who, who doesn't know they have a problem? First of all, anyone with serious problems, I don't let them do my seminar. And the other seminars also screen people out who have serious problems. Someone who has real psychological problems has no business in such a situation. Yeah, they should come. Real deep pain people should come. If they don't want to go, so they can enjoy their pain. We, we love our pain. We're like, you know, we love, my motion is, we love our dirty diaper. You know, I ever have a kid who didn't potty train properly? So they're like now three years old and they're still making in their diaper. So what do they do? They run and hide, they make, and then they hide some more because they're busted for making in their diaper. So, so then you finally sniff them out. You know, they're under some sh- closet or God knows where. You sniff them out and, and they run. And all you want to do is change them. You want to make them more comfortable. You want to help them. But they, they're running with their dirty diaper. That's you. Okay? That's you. We love our dirty diaper. Listen, when I put myself, when I, you know, I've, I've been to programs that are intense like this, I'm, and I lead them, I'm always nervous. 
Always nervous. And you'd be insane not to be. You mean, you know how awkward it is the first half hour? I always tell people it's going to be very awkward the first half hour because everyone's in their nose. They're, they're scared to death. They don't want to see anyone they know. They certainly don't want to admit they have problems. And no one in there, if they have, I told you, if they have problems, I ask them to leave. Last week in Borough Park, I asked someone to leave. I could see by while I was speaking in the first few hours, I refunded his money. I saw in the first few hours that he's got some serious stuff and that he's not going to survive the seminar. And the seminar is here to help, not hurt. And I, I went up to him. I said, we're going to refund your money. I'm sorry, you have to go. And I, I escorted him out. If they're not, no, I'll watch their face. I'll see while I'm speaking. I'm watching all of you right now in ways you have no idea. I felt so bad. So I, so I uh, made a private meeting with him. I said, one, I said, one-on-one I'm happy to meet, but you're not fit for this group. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be harmful for you. Love them, you know. You can't force people to grow. You can't force people to grow. If you can't love them. I didn't say like them. I said love them. You can always love people. You don't have to like them. Okay, listen up. Uh, Let's talk a little on... Do you want me to keep going on this topic or do you want me to go to today's topic? You like this topic? (laughs) No, I... um, You want to just make life easier on mayor and cut this? Meaning give it a... Yeah, because I'd like to talk about the closed child. Meaning just make it easy. Like, do you have a way of doing it so you guys don't have to figure out? Yeah, cut, make a new one. Of course, save it. No, I was just saying start a new one. I was thinking the beginning of the first five minutes of the medicine men would be a heavy topic. Nah. If we can't discuss medicine men while, they, while big pharma's causing everyone to take some weird drug in our shoulders and we can't discuss the, we're not allowed to discuss the last five we're going to talk now for a few minutes about we're going to talk now for a few minutes about um, how to help a child who's closed when a child is closed the way you know they're closed is because they're being shy Okay, shy is not a personality type, okay? <laughs> Anyone who's being shy, something's wrong. Okay? There's no such thing as shy people. There are introverts and extroverts. Extroverts like lots of people, like me. I love lots of people around. Introverts like to talk one-on-one more. But once someone's shy, something's wrong. Um, a closed child, they'll answer one-word answers. How was your day? Fine. How was school? Fine. How are you feeling? Fine. So they'll answer one-word answers. And they'll... Um, whatever. They're, they're, you know, they're not, they're not going to let you in, basically. So uh, one of the most important things, and, and also husbands and wives are different with children. So it doesn't mean that you both have to do the same thing, but one of the ways that you get into the child's heart 
is you need consistent commitment. Consistent commitment. Meaning, raise your, let's say you're in the men's side. Raise your hand if you know what's going on in your daughter's schooling day to day. Nice. Nice. So two out of uh, 20 men. Two out of 20. Ladies, raise your hand if you know about your daughter's schooling, each daughter's schooling. What's going on on a basic day-to-day level? Raise your hand. Okay, so nice. So almost all of them. So as I was saying, fathers and mothers don't have to have the same relationship with the kids. But one of the ways to open them up is consistent commitment. So I'm not expecting the fathers to know what's going on day-to-day in their daughter's lives or even their son's lives. But... The um, if a kid's closed, then you've lost your luxury of being aloof. If you have a child who's closed, now you've got to prove to them that you're totally into their lives, like you're into it, and and you're you know you're updated, you're able to ask, and how was the test? And you may even have to write things down, like. You might like let's say you know your your wife can help you like she says your your daughter you know Hani you can't go wrong with Hani your daughter Hani has a um, has a test on Wednesday so you might want to write that down and it'll be surprising to her that you know you knew that on Sunday and her test was on Wednesday and then on Wednesday night you're like how was your test Hani she's like what test. You know, you know, I have a test, but the, these little acts of, of of following her, you know, and online like statuses, you, there are people that people follow, but so many of us don't even follow our own kids. <laughs> so, so you, you got to follow them. You got to be their fan, and, and the more the more you know, the more they see you're you're interested, the more they'll share. The more they see you're interested, the more they share, and. Sometimes it could be that something's really gone wrong because that often shuts people up. Because, see, I, I'm going to stop sharing because what I've got to share is so bad that, you know, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to myself break into a million pieces. And so sometimes people, kids will go through a trauma. God forbid, it could be even a victim trauma situation where, where they shut down and they just they can't speak because they they can't speak because if they were to open their mouths what would come out and so they're just like they're no longer sharing period um sadly there's not much you can do about that i'm actually against um forcing it out of them even in therapy therapists should be pretty good at it but you know if they know that's the goal is to get it out of them so So they, it's it's not you don't force things out of a kid. It's just that's just the next level of uh, of uh, of uh, assault. You understand? That's just the next level of us. They're just being assaulted again. Now they're being assaulted with their emotions. Before they had to expose whatever that got exposed. Now they're getting exposed to have. Now they're having their emotions forced out. And so, um, thankfully, young children. I mean, if they're quite young. If God forbid something happened, there there are amazing therapists who can, like literally with a sandbox, get it all out. 
They can just, with certain toys and sandboxes and shapes and stuff, they can literally clear them. There's, but they're, these are like top-level child trauma therapists who can get it all out. But once they get older and they're not going to play in a sandbox for an hour, you know, like, they're, they're basically stuck. And so that'll probably come out years later. And that's okay. And until it comes out, we have to be there for them, be there for them consistently. Prove to them that we're there, that we're there for them, no matter what. It may not go anywhere, but when they're ready to open up, we'll, we will be their ally. You know, we're the one they're going to confide in. Um, one important thing that I, that I always want to mention to, to men is that our, gir- our girls are, um, this is kind of a separate subject, but we only have a few minutes, that our girls, when they're walking around the streets of uh, you know, New York, whether it's Brooklyn or it's Lakewood or it's Muncie, wherever they're going, as much as we try to protect them, you know, they see everything. They're seeing everything. There's glam everywhere. There, you know, and and there's and there's physiological needs at, as teenagers and stuff. And then anyway, they're what can happen is the father who hasn't been that involved, other than just fathering, stays not that involved. And sometimes a father's playing this like, you know, like he's more fafront. And so now that she's developed and she's a little lady, so they're even more separated from their daughter. That's not a good strategy in 2021. You understand? There's all kinds of polls on these kids. We have no idea what our kids know. We have no idea what they're seeing. But they're probably seeing what we're seeing if we're seeing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't keep track of that stuff. And so their need... They already have a need, you know, in 200 years ago, and going back all the thousands of years, girls were married between 12 and 14, period. Boys were married between 14 and 16, period. That was it. You know, you finish learning how to make shoes or whatever, or how to make leather or whatever you did, by the time you're 12, by the time you're bar mitzvah, you're working. And then you work for a couple of years, you get married 14 to 16, girls got married 12 to 14. Still like that in some communities. You know, all, all communities that weren't touched by the West still do that. All those tribes in Afghanistan, Pakistan, they're still getting married the years we used to. And, um, but now, the daughters have to somehow bridge 12 to 18 or 12 till 20. Many girls don't get married until they're 20. They have to, we have to bridge eight years. Eight years where they're already ready for relationship. And so it's um, also uh, women, this is for the women. The women are, are, you don't know this, but you unconsciously elbow out your daughters for your husband's attention. It's just the way women are. They elbow out, that's why you so desperately wanted to get married when you were little. Boys don't like daydream about marriage when they're little. They're not daydreaming about their chuppah, not even a little. Whereas girls, they're daydreaming about their chuppah because they've been watching their mother so carefully commander their father's attention, which means they're elbowed out all the time. You know there's girls that are excited when parents have shalom bias issues? You know, she storms out, and the girls just rush to Tati to take care of poor Tati, who's got wounded by mommy. 
So they, they're so excited for their marriage because they're finally going to have 100% of their man's attention. And of course, men, what are men? Men are such jerks. We're, we're conquerors. So like, okay, we're married now, so she's conquered. And then what do we go? We go make a million dollars all day long. And the poor things at home just like, hello, you know, like, I'll call you right back. And, and then, you know, we finally get home, we're all exhausted, you know, spent. So it's important that the ladies give their daughters a relationship with their fathers, like, like promote it. Fathers. This is the way I say it. It's kind of a rough way of saying it, but you are your daughter's boyfriend till you hand her over to a chosen. Till you give her a chosen, you're her boyfriend. Which is a very weird thing to say, obviously, but you understand what I'm saying. Because if you're not, so you're asking for trouble. And in this generation, that's trouble. Be your daughter's boyfriend till she gets married. Recently, I had a guy in Yerushalayim. Yerushalmi Chosid, 10 kids. And, you know, a very, very frum family from Asharim, family I'm very close with. And um, his daughter's language of love was gifts. And some, uh, some tuna bagel off the derech boy figured out her language of love and just started plying her with gifts. Tati's got 10 kids. He doesn't have money for gifts. And he doesn't even know the five languages of love anyway, so he would never think to buy this one child of 10 kids gifts. So meanwhile, she's getting all these gifts from, you know, some tuna bag living across the street. And he's plying her with gifts. And he got her. He got her. It's very sad. Very special family. And... and Tati wasn't that involved, certainly wasn't doing my Eitzah, and the neighbor got her. And the, uh, but now was the fight to get her back, because she was only 16. Not everyone knew, could still make Shaduchim. So she was only 16, so now is the fight to get her back. So the Tati who didn't have money for gifts is now paying through the nose for, you know, a couple days a week of a mentor, you know, a woman who he is paying hundreds of dollars to weekly to meet with her. And guess what he starts doing? He starts paying more, double the amount of the therapy was buying gifts, because that's her language of love, buying gifts. So he comes to me crying about the situation. How can I help him with money for whatever? And and you should know it's really cute. I live in Yerushalayim. All the Yerushalayim has come to me for money. And I'm like, do you realize how much I could help you? And you you want money from me? You understand, but in your Islam, you know, if you speak English like I do, you're sure he must be very rich. And so here are these Yerushalmis coming to me, and I, as I tell you, I sense you a mile away, so I'm sensing everything going on with them. And I've got so much to tell them, and they, you know, to help them, but they're just like, you know, mach, mach. I'm making a chasna. You know, and can you help with the chasna? And so I help them, but they have no idea how much I could have helped them. It's funny, when I come here, everyone knows I'm here to help people. 
pleasure to actually have what you want. So, anyway, so, so what happens? He comes to tell me what's going on. All the money in the council, all the money in the gifts. And I said to him, I sensed something was wrong, because this had been going on for like half a year, which is too long. So I sent, said to him, who's giving her the gifts? He says, the counselor. I buy the gifts, I give them to the counselor, and the counselor gives her the gifts. And I was like, dumb, dummy, you have to make her your girlfriend. You're the one who's going to replace this. Her language will love is gifts. You give the gifts. Anyway, it's now been a couple years since then. She's about 20 now. He got her back. He got her back, Baruch Hashim. He gave the gifts. He got involved. He learned about her life and everything. And Baruch Hashim, she's back. Please God, we'll hear good news from her. When I said that the guy got her, I don't know how badly he got her. I, I didn't ask what the gory details were. So please God, he didn't get her to that extent. But anyway, we should hear good news on that. So the bottom line is we have to be we don't have to be hovering over each kid, but we, if we do have a closed kid, we've got to give consistent commitment. We have to know what's up with them. It's a bit of a hassle to do that with one of your kids if you're a father. Women do it naturally. But we have to, we have to be involved with that kid. Definitely discover the language of love of that child. People are absolute suckers for their language of love. So you've got to know their language of love because you can just pour it on once you know their language of love. And, um, and if, God forbid, something's really wrong, so they'll get therapy someday for it. And uh, anyway, I, I feel bad that this is my last class of the Shabbaton, you know, before I speak at the last thing later tonight. But I feel bad because we had so many powerful classes. And I don't want to end on the note of the closed child. But, um, but I do bless, I bless them, I bless us, I bless all of us then. That please God, we're all going to see our family through all the simchas, get them to build their own homes. The shame ulisiferas umen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.